Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. So on the back of your bulletin are some opportunities for you to take some notes. Not because I mistakenly filled in the blanks already for you. So we got five points this morning. If you got a bulletin, I, I, I bet you know the five points. The drama that we're going to be looking at unfolds with, and let's say them together, his timing, his enemies, his friends, his betrayer, his followers. Let's close in prayer. No. No. That is what we're going to be looking at this morning. I can't believe I did that. I gave you all the answers. Uh, but I'm going to be carefully watching your eyes so that they're not going closed uh, while the message is going on. But yes, we are in the book of Mark, and we've been there for, well, this whole year for sure. And we are slowly coming to a conclusion of that book. We are going to be taking a look at verses 14, or chapter 14, 1 through 16 today. And uh, if you do have a bulletin on the back there, it says this, All the Bible has led up to these four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is the, uh, the Passion Week, we call it. And we are on Thursday, actually, today of this Passion Week. going to... F- few verses in Wednesday still, but we're going to look at that in a moment. God's plan revealed in Genesis 3.15. Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a rendition of that, kind of an, uh, a greater explanation of that. Chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. Chapter 3, verse 15, God has a plan. Someone once said that with the exception of John 3.16, Genesis 3.15 is the second most important verse in the Bible. It's God's first words about bringing a Savior to deal with mankind's sin. So the last three chapters of Mark will keep our hearts focused on the greatest days in the history of the world. And you'll see there the drama unfolds with, well, mainly God being the director of this greatest story ever told, Let's read our text together. It's uh, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 together. As I shared, the first uh, couple of verses have to do with Wednesday. All of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, and the first couple of chapters are Wednesday of the Passion Week. And then we're going to jump into Thursday, and of course you remember Thursday being the time that the Lord... Uh, spent uh, time with his followers uh, concerning the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about that next week. And then the week after that will be the first Sunday in June, and we will share the Lord's Supper together. So chapter 14 of Mark, verses 1 through 16. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. So this is still Wednesday evening. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were, were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now we're jumping to Thursday morning. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, 
A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to, bury, to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to portray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lambs, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And that is where we will stop. And that is the reading of God's word. So the drama unfolds with his timing. That's our first point. You can write that. Oh, you can't write that in because it's already written in for you. Passover is Friday, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the seven days after that. So our passage says here, now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. So this is Wednesday evening, you got Thursday, and then you got Friday, two days away. God is working, and this is why I'm talking about his timing right now. God is working behind the scenes to accomplish his goal of having Jesus die as our sacrificial lamb, and we've talked about this a number of times already, at 3 p.m. on Passover Friday, exactly the same time when hundreds of thousands of Passover lambs will be slain for the Passover meal. So God is working out his timing here. Now, this is a big task because just a few days previous to that, was Palm Sunday, remember? Palm Sunday, everybody loved Jesus. Jesus was the center of attention, and the people were praising him and putting down their cloaks so that he could. He was on a donkey. They were anticipating him becoming king. And so this is a big task from Sunday to Friday, having God move Jesus from Palm Sunday to Good Friday on a cross, and the reason that it was a big tax was because the enthusiasm for Jesus was high. Friday morning, not so much. Well, why? Why did it move so quickly? And that's our next point. The drama unfolds with not only his timing, but his enemies. 
We've talked about this uh, before, actually in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, all the way back there, three years previous, the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. And so for almost three years, they have been looking for a way to make that happen. But these Bible verses say they really don't want to do this during the festivals. There's hundreds of thousands of people now in Jerusalem during this time. And the thought is they don't really want to kill Jesus during this time because, as of Palm Sunday, a whole lot of people were on his side. And it even says, but not during the feast, that's the latter part of or verse 2, they said, or the people may riot. The idea is, hey, we, don't, we, we, we can't kill Jesus now. Palm Sunday was just a few, few days ago and a whole bunch of people loved him and shouted Hosanna and they wanted to make him king. So we can't really do it now because all those people are here unless a special circumstance arises. And you'll notice from our reading, a special circumstance does arise. And that special circumstance is Judas. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But before we take a look at Judas, let's look at this worshipful act by one of his friends. So the drama unfolds with his timing. The Lord has specific time that he wants Jesus killed. 3 p.m. on Friday, the same time the Passover lambs were slaughtered. His enemies, and so he's working behind the scenes to make this happen, but we're going to take a look real quick at his friends. Now, Mark does not tell us the name of this woman, but the Gospel of John does. John chapter 12 gives this same story, and we find out from John chapter 12 that it's Mary. And there's a whole lot of Marys, but it's the specific Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. So Jesus, we are told, has been staying with them this week. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, spends some time there, and then goes back to Bethany, just a couple miles away. And Jesus has been spending time with probably the people in the, in the town, but most specifically with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Jesus goes in Jerusalem, comes back to Bethany, and on this Thursday, he's probably having lunch either at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home, and Simon the leper is the host, or maybe he is at... Simon the leper's house. Now, uh, we should note that this is Simon the former leper. All right, you can't really, you can't, you can't really go to Simon's house if he has leprosy. This is not, it's not kosher. All right, it's not, it, it shouldn't happen. Uh, many believe that this is actually somebody that Jesus healed, and so Simon and a group of people are uh, having lunch together, and Simon is the host, or it may be at Simon's. Home, and we are told that Mary breaks this jar of pure nard. It's a, it's a very expensive, very expensive perfume from a plant in India. And uh, I think it's John that says it's worth uh, 300 denarii. Here it says could be sold for more than a, a year's wage. So it, this is expensive stuff. I mean, ladies, how many of you have perfume in your home that is worth a year's wage. All right? Your wife does? Wow. That's amazing. Oh, oh you, you do. Wow. All right. Uh, 
I, I, I'd have more respect if your wife did, all right? But that's fine, Tom, thanks. Um, no, this is expensive stuff. I mean, this is expensive stuff. And uh, she breaks this, uh, probably had a flask of some kind, because normally what they would do is all, all the houses had this kind of thing, not this expensive, but this kind of thing. It was probably, uh, uh, you know, a form of deodorant because when people would come to your home, well, they got dirty and they got stinky, all right? And so sometimes before a meal, and again, it, it, we're even told here a number of times that when you ate, you reclined, all right? So if you're reclining for a meal and somebody's reclining next to you and their feet are right in your face, uh, it probably <laughs> is a little uncomfortable, so the host would have this perfume in her home and she would put, you know, a dab on your forehead or a dab on your feet so that it would help with uh, uh, eating a, a meal without a bunch of stinky, dirty people around. And also we know that they would wash their feet as they would come into a home. And so Mary does a very unusual thing and breaks the whole jar and pours it on Jesus' head here and in John also includes his feet. And John says the whole house was filled with the fragrance. Well, no doubt. I mean, if you got a jar of perfume, it's very expensive. It smells really good. John includes that the whole house is uh, full of the fragrance. And then Jesus explains why she did this. And, you know, we're going to get here to a minute, the indignant disciples, but uh, Jesus explains in verse 6 through 9 why she did this. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. Now, that is true. It says that in the book, in the book of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The poor will always be with us. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about the poor. He's saying, hey, you ought to take care of the poor, and you can do that anytime. He says, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Now, I thought, I thought that's an interesting line. She did what she could. And I think about our service to the Lord. You know, some people can do a lot. And some people can do a little. Sometimes I have visited with elderly people and they say, I just can't do what I used to do. And they say, but I can pray. I say, well, praise the Lord. That's exciting. That's, that's great. And that, that, that should be our challenge. You, you do what you can. You do what you can in the service of the Lord. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. The disciples are not even thinking about this idea of Jesus dying, but Mary is. Mary understands putting perfume and getting ready for a burial because why? Well, her brother Lazarus died not too long ago and she did the exact same thing, I'm sure, or something very similar to him to prepare him for burial and now she's doing it for Jesus. And then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And hey, it's happening. Right now, 2,000 years later, we're remembering what Mary did. Jesus is saying it's a beautiful thing. Mary did what she could, and she'll be remembered. It's an act of love and worship. But you also notice in verse 4 that the response is brutal. 
the response is this. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Now, Mark is a little bit vague here, but if you take your Bible and turn to, Mar uh, to John chapter 12, John gives us a little bit more detail. And some of these verses I can't remember reading before. I know I have, but kind of brings this into context. Mark chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. I'm sorry, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. John 12, 4 through 6. This is Mark's take on <laughs> This is John's take on it. John's take on it. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. Now, I think this is an interesting verse. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Huh, when did all that happen? I mean, we knew that Judas was interested in money, but I mean, even while he was taking care of the money bag for the apostles, uh, he would help himself to what was put into it. Judas wanted the money from the sale of this perfume to go into the coffers so that he could go to Nordstrom's. Right? <laughs> uh, and Judas has been looking for a time, and we're going to find this out a little bit more here, Judas has been looking for a time to turn Jesus in, especially after Palm Sunday. And Jesus did not follow through to declare his kingship. And one side note that I think is important here, because you're, you're, you, you might be later doing a little bit more study on this and going back to John chapter 12. And look at what it says in uh, uh, the first verse of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arised, uh, arrived at Bethany. So you, you got a little, what looks like a contradiction here. John is saying it's happening uh, uh, six days before the Passover. Mark is saying that it's happening a couple of days before the Passover. And I did a lot of reading this past week. And basically what it says is that Mark's account is more of a flashback to six days earlier, but fits in the context of what Mark is talking about here in the scenario of the last few days of Jesus' life. So he includes it here. So that was the best I could do as to find out why but if you'd like to do a little bit more research on that, you certainly can. So Mark's account is more of a flashback, but fits well here before the crucifixion. But if you look at John's account, Judas, even six days previous to the Passover, is looking for a time to take out Jesus. And he has been become disillusioned, if you will, with the whole movement and, and probably wants out. Judas's decision to betray Jesus was perfect for the religious leaders because Judas is an insider. Judas is an insider and he knows uh, where Jesus is going to be and he knows when Jesus is going to be in a place where there's not a whole lot of other people around. 
and we'll see that in a minute here. And so he becomes a perfect way for the religious leaders to take a peek at Jesus. And the money was nominal. The 30 pieces of silver I was told or I read that it was about the, the, the amount of a slave, to sell a slave, 30 pieces of silver. So it wasn't that it was a whole lot of money. But uh, the insider giving the whereabouts uh, to the Jewish leaders was very, very valuable. Now, question, did Judas do it merely for the money? You know, that's an interesting thought. Did Judas do it merely for the money? Well, we are told that he was <laughs> pilfering the, the disciples' money and, uh, and he thought that this perfume should be put into that so that he could use it for later for his own needs. Did he do it merely for money? I mean, there's a lot of, if you, if you do some research on here, there's a lot of ideas as to why Judas may have decided to betray Jesus. Probably the biggest thing is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, and John chapter 13, verse 27. It says, Satan entered Judas. That's the reason Judas betrayed Jesus, was because Satan entered Judas. And I ran across this. I thought this was interesting because it kind of made me think a little bit. What is Satan trying to accomplish? What is he trying to get done here? What's he after? Some people have said Satan wants to kill Jesus. That's what I always said. Satan wants to kill Jesus. Really? That's the opposite of what he wanted to do. He didn't want to kill Jesus. Satan didn't want to put Jesus on the cross because Satan knew what the cross meant. He was not seeking Christ's crucifixion. Do you remember back in the 16th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to die. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan wanted to keep Christ from the cross. Keep Christ from the cross halted the plan of God. Did he know that he was going to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Of course. Did he understand all the Old Testament prophecies perfectly well? Did he understand all Levitical sacrifices point to the death of one sacrifice, the Son of God? Did he know he came to save his people from their sins? Did he know the shadow of the cross was over his entire life? Of course. Did he know that he was the satisfying atonement that God had planned? Yes. Did he know that if Jesus died on that cross, his kingdom and dominion would be forever destroyed? Yes. It was God who wanted Jesus dead. It was Satan who wanted to stop it. Then the question is, why does he move on Judas to betray Jesus? The answer is pretty simple, this author says. If he can get Judas to betray Jesus, and he can get the Sanhedrin to move fast and arrest Jesus, the crowd will rise up and stop the crucifixion. That's what Judas feared. That's what the leaders feared. That's what Satan wanted. He had no desire to see Jesus on a cross. 
He says, I don't know what Satan thinks. I'm not particularly interested other than to speculate from the strategy. It seems to me that Satan was moving Judas to betray Jesus to start a riot. And the people would prevent the murder of Jesus. Satan's against the cross. He wants to create the scenario which will halt the direction of Christ to the cross. So he moves into Judas. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't thought much about that. I always thought... Oh, the devil wants Satan on the cross or he'll die. But the devil saw a bigger picture and wanted, you know, according to this author, and you can, you can mull on that for a little bit, according to this author, to uh, keep Jesus from the cross. And maybe the idea here is that the crowd would rise up so Jesus wouldn't go to the cross. Something to think about. All right, so we've got... Uh, the drama unfolds with his timing, his enemies, his friends, his betrayer, and then lastly, his followers. And uh, Jesus wanted to celebrate the uh, Passover with, with his disciples, but to protect himself, and this is interesting here, to protect himself, Jesus gives only two of his disciples the whereabouts of the upper room. And we saw that on the first, let's see here, we're going to look... Uh, yeah, verse 13. So he, so he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Well, right there, there's a clue. Men don't carry jars of water. So this is interesting. And so you're going to see this guy. You know, if he, if he were to say, you're going to see this woman carrying a jar of water. Well, that's what the women did at the, in that day. But you're going to see this man carrying a jar of water. There's your clue. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters... The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparation for us there. Jesus wanted to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, but to protect himself, Jesus only gives the whereabouts of the upper room to two disciples. Had he said, oh, we're going to be over on State Street, uh, uh, address 245, Judas could have heard that and said, you know, that's my spot. He's going to be there with just a few of his disciples. He could go and turn Jesus in. But Jesus is aware of that. And so Judas does not know where they will be. But later in the evening, and we'll talk about this in the next few weeks, Jesus dismisses Judas to do his thing. Celebrating this Passover is important because this is where he transforms the Passover into the Lord's Supper. And you're aware of that, and we'll uh, share the Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks here. Although Mark does not record it, Jesus also, during the Lord's Supper, has a lot of stuff he still wants to teach his disciples. And so John 13 through 17 is what Jesus is doing in the upper room there with his disciples. And the biggest thing that you remember Jesus doing in that upper room is washing his disciples' feet. So John 13 through 17 is the work that Jesus is doing up there with his disciples and also continuing to teach. Uh, Mark doesn't go into the details here. And also a footnote here. Why are the disciples celebrating on Thursday, the Passover? Didn't I say that Friday was the Passover? Why are the disciples celebrating on Thursday? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
There are two Passovers that the early Jews celebrated. And there's a piece of paper right over there if you would like to take it and take a peek as to why there were two Passovers that were celebrated. I'll give you just a, a brief idea here. Northern Galilee, where most of the disciples were from, celebrated Passover on Thursday. Southern Judea, where they were, celebrated Passover on Friday. So there was a little bit of a shared Passover, and there's information there as to the two Passovers during Jesus' time. So we are told that his friends found the room. Verse 16, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And his friends found the room, prepared the Passover, and next week we will look at the Lord's Supper. And then the week after we will celebrate it. Application, a couple of things to think about. First of all, God is in control. I mean, I love, to, I love to know that in my head, that God is in control. In this crazy world that I'm living in, and all the crazy things that are happening in your life and my life, good, bad, and ugly, God is in control. And then the other thing I thought about, and, and this is something I want maybe to bury into your brain and you can think about today, how do you lavishly love Jesus? How do you lavishly, like Mary breaking the expensive perfume, pouring it on his head and feet, how do you lavishly love Jesus? Something to think about today. The bottom of your bulletin, it's one thing to know redemptive history. All right? <laughs> The devil knows it. The devil knows redemptive history. It's another thing to be a Christ follower. The knowing needs to travel, you've heard this before, the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Like this next picture here. Right there. That's your brain, that's your heart. All right. It needs to travel from your brain to your heart. The idea of God is in control and he's orchestrating everything and that's a wonderful thing. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, you are in control. You are large and in charge. That's good for us because we're small and we don't know what in the world is going on. But we have a great and awesome God. And so that's good for us to remember as we follow Christ. And then also... Thinking about this idea of lavishly loving our Savior. That song that Will sang, Jesus lavishly loved us, broken and spilled out just for us. And so Lord, in return, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In return, we want to lavishly love you. And one thing we can do to make that happen is we can daily determine to surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. We're going to sing that song. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, 
please visit our website at minatristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.